the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. What's up? How are you all? Karina here. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. I hope you are all having a wonderful March. Can you believe it's March already? I cannot. I was just talking to our executive director for the Big Silence and my sister Rachel, and she told me that the planets are all doing all this woo-woo shit this month. So don't be surprised if you're all spun out. Like, good to know. Uh, On my end, I've got a lot of traveling coming up for work, for fun, a little mix of both, the way I like to do it. Also, if you're in Austin during South by Southwest, so that's one of the biggest kind of events, conferences that happens every year in Austin. There's the tech side, the music side. They've actually included a lot of mental health panels now. And I'm hosting an event in real life. So please come by at The Collective with a K. Um, It's a gym, a social gym and it's membership only exclusive but we have tickets so if you're not a member you can get tickets and come hang out come work out with me i want to do a workout with myself one of the founders jeremy hills and also fit girl mel if you know her she's known for being responsible for uh, kim k's fit bod so come on by. We got tone it up snacks. We got gym weed energy drinks, B12 shots from Alive and Well. And we're going to hang out. We're going to work out first. And then we are going to have a social hour with Slate Theory Winery and a live podcast with me, Jeremy Hills, and Melissa Fit Girl Mel. So that is on March 16th. 12 o'clock p.m. to 4, so be there, be square. Make sure you sign up to get a ticket and reserve your spot. I'll put that. It's on the bigsilence.com events page, and then also we'll put it here in the podcast notes on where you can get your ticks. All right, let's go on to today's guest is Katie Morton. She came here in real life here in Austin, and it was such a fun conversation, Katie. I love having in real life conversations on the pod because I make all of my new friends, and it's just so fun. And I meet so many great people. 
So shout out to Katie. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her YouTube channel, you have to go check it out. She's huge on YouTube. She's an author and a speaker and just known for humanizing mental health. So she has a master's in psychology from Pepperdine University. And you're going to love this conversation. We talk about everything. I made a list for, she has a podcast of like Ask Katie Anything, which I'm going to be on soon. But I made my own Ask Katie Anything. So we talk about the rules of finding a good therapist, the cost of therapy, what high-functioning depression is, nerves around upcoming therapy sessions, expectations of therapy, inner child work, and just a whole bunch of fun girl talk. So enjoy. And as always, make sure you share this episode if someone you love maybe could benefit from it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can listen to the podcast and help us spread the word and break the stigma around mental health. All right. Welcome in real life. I know. Living here in Austin, moved here in 2021. Yes. Welcome, Santa Monica, another Californian. I know the Texans love us here. Oh, I know. I don't tell anybody. <laughs> I know. Are you like, I'm from Canada? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm from Indiana. Yeah, I know. Washington State's where I grew up, so I'll just claim that. And they're yeah. like, oh, West Coast. Mm. But they'll tolerate it. So, Katie, you are a licensed therapist focused mm-hmm. on family therapy. And I've already introduced you in the intro. And a YouTube sensation. I've been... <laughs> listening to and watching your videos and your podcast. And I love the Ask Katie Anything thing. So I was listening to your podcast this morning and I wrote down like 10 questions for my own Ask Katie Anything. Love it. Yeah. I'm here for it. So my first question, Mm -hmm. how did you get to being a therapist? Like what was your decision growing up and how you got into therapy? Yeah, a couple of things. There's been a couple like pivotal points in my life, I guess. When I was growing up, I always loved being the secret keeper which I know mm-hmm. sounds kind of weird. I think part of it's because I like gossip, but I don't want to be part of it. Oh. So if anybody told me something, I like took great pride in knowing it would never leave. Like I would never share that. I'd like a vault, like lock mm-hmm. it up. And so I really took a lot of pride in being that secret keeper. And when they opened up a psych 101 class for, I think it was my senior year of high school, one of my girlfriends was like, that's perfect for you. You're going to love it. You should take it. Let's take it together, you know? And I was like, ooh, I don't know. At the time, I was really into, like, music. I was in choir and stuff. I really like that. I also thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I was, like, looking into that. And anyway, took the class and was hooked. And was like, oh, it's so fascinating. And for those listening, when you say secret keeper, that's because as a therapist, you have your certain rules. Like, you are not with your clients. It is a secret. Yeah, yeah, confidentiality. Yeah, confidentiality. That's the word. <laughs> Unless there's like some reasons that you by law have to share certain things if someone's about to harm themselves or someone else. Yeah. Okay. So you get into Psych 101 mm-hmm. and you go from there. Yeah. Then I applied to different colleges. I was a double major at the beginning, music and psychology, and then just fell in love with it. Even after undergrad, I still, because I feel like in society, we force children essentially to know what they want to be for the rest of their lives. And I just mm-hmm. think that that's crazy. And so I had nannied these girls from London and they took gap years. And I was like, oh, that's a beautiful thing. Like mm-hmm. you get to figure out who you are and then decide. And so I took a year off between undergrad and grad and was like, maybe it's kind of funny looking back. I was telling my mom, I'm like, maybe I'll be a pastry chef. And she's like, I love you, sis. My family calls me sis. Mm-hmm. I love you, sis, but you don't like to work on the weekends and you also are really social. So I can't imagine you wanting to work when everybody else is off. 
getting up early, not your jam. This does not seem like a good idea for you. And I was like, mm. and I still applied. And I got into pastry school to, what was it called in Pasadena anyway? Le Cordon Bleu. Wait, really? Isn't that like a really famous pastry place? I, I think so, of, but it's... I'm thinking of CIA Culinary Institute Art School. <laughs> I have no clue what I'm talking about. But it's, it was just the local yeah. school in Pasadena. I don't know if it's fancy or... I mean, I got good grades in undergrad, but I had no experience in food. And then also looked into graduate programs for psychology. I was like, do I want to do art? It was just like a space of time where I didn't really know. And so I worked as an intern at this foster teen home in -hmm. downtown LA and then just fell in love with helping people in that way. And yeah. So when you help people all day long, Mm -hmm. you know, not only you're creating content and then you also have clients, how do you take care of you? A lot of things, and I'm not always that great at it either. I always tell people, just because I know better doesn't mean I do better. It just means I have a lot of guilt. (laughs) So I practice yoga regularly, probably three days a week, if I can squeeze it, you know, literally and figuratively. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yoga is really helpful. Having a big support net, like Mm -hmm. my mom, my husband, friends. Since we've moved, it's been an adjustment because I have... Some friends that are here also that have relocated around the same time. But I also have like new friends, like people down the street. Like we live kind of not downtown Austin. We're like in the suburbs. That I was really worried about that. I'm not, I'm like a city mouse. And I was like, I'm a suburb person now. But the suburban ladies are very nice and they've invited me into their groups of things. And so I'm engaging in that. And I think that that's really helpful for me. And then honestly, taking time for like breath in, I call it. So That could be anything from, I want to go see an art show. I want to get on the water. I'm really a nature person. So Mm -hmm. my husband and I love to go snowboarding, mountain biking, hiking, all those things. So making time for that is really important. And again, I'm not always good at it. Do you know right back here, there's a 12 miles of mountain biking? I saw. I saw the signs, the little posts, and I was like, holy shit. I have not done that, but Bobby's taken his dirt bikes out there. You're not supposed to hike there. I've walked back there before. But yeah, you can mountain bike and dirt bike back there. We should go. We'll get you all padded up. Yeah, I definitely padded up. I mean, last time Bobby went, he ran into a tree. Well, you wear a helmet. You get the chest, you know, you get all, I have the leg and the chest protectors and stuff. Okay. All right. Well, you and hubby will come back here. (laughs) Maybe I'll walk. Bobby can dirt bike and you guys can no, we, well, I'll go slow with you. I'm not a maniac. They can go off like crazy. Sean loves to hurt himself on accident, being like, thinking <laughs> so he's Bobby. 24. He's like, let me just ram my knee into something. And I know. My husband's like, my neck is all crunchy now because I ran in, he ran into a tree snowboarding. So, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? That's fun. <laughs> so, as a licensed therapist and you with clients, like coming out of the pandemic, mm-hmm. Are we out of the pandemic or what is the repercussions of the pandemic? And you as a therapist, because I can imagine your job is even harder now because you have, you know, obviously frontline workers Mm -hmm. and then your job now has to be, I would imagine, a lot more work for you. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing about the pandemic that I found so bizarre is that it's the only time I've ever been going through something at the same time as my patients have because there's never... Not never, but it's incredibly rare to go through the same thing, especially at the same time. And it was really a shared trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I think not only do I see being online, the cool thing is I get to see a huge swath of the world. Like, what are people in the world talking about? How are they feeling? What's going on? And there's definitely a lot of anger in and out. So depression, anxiety is increased. Suicidality, unfortunately, has increased. 
I think in general, we didn't realize how important connection was Mm -hmm. until it was taken. Mm -hmm. And we all reacted in our own unique ways with it. But now that we're quote unquote out of it, I think only now, because I know this through trauma. Okay, so if we talk about a trauma, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. The key word there is post. Mm -hmm. happens after. So when you're in crisis, you're like just holding on for dear life. You're like white knuckling it. Like, oh, get me through this, right? And using all the coping skills, good or bad. Like alcohol use went up, you know, shopping went up, things like that. But you white knuckle and then you're like, oh, we're out. And then you start to feel all the feelings that you essentially were just like stuffing down to get through. So let's talk about PTSD Mm because I've definitely experienced it growing up with a schizophrenic mother and then being caretaker. And she passed away in September 2021. And then it's like after 30 years, you know, she was diagnosed when I was 10. I'm not going to turn this into a personal therapy session. But <laughs> but no, I get it. Because then it's like, okay, well, that's what like a lot of trauma therapists and grief therapists talk about. Like, you're not out of it. Like now the work begins. Yeah. And it can be hard yeah. to know where to start. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. And I feel like even personally, because we relocated, I'm like, I got to find a new therapist because I've had this therapist, Jana, in Santa Monica on 7th Street. She's amazing. I love her. Shout Saw her Jana. for years. I know. <laughs> and I would just pop in and out as I needed. Like, oh, it's been a shitty time. I'm going to go in for a few months. And then there always be this period where she's like, I don't think we have anything to talk about. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. And she's like, okay, well, call me when you need something. And that was just how it went. But now I'm like, now I got to find a Jana replacement. And it, it's hard, you know. So two questions here before I forget. How do you recognize if you have PTSD? The key symptoms are hypervigilance, which means for anybody who maybe doesn't know what it feels like or isn't sure, are you extremely jumpy? Are you like hyper aware? Like for instance, one of my girlfriends who has PTSD is always like, I don't like to sit with my back to the door of a restaurant. Like I want to be looking out. And I'm like, that's some like Jason Bourne shit. Like you're worried someone's going to come in and hurt you. That's, you know, it's a trauma response. I had a friend who would always park her car a certain way. So in case she had to jump in the car and flee, yeah, she could get out. That's a trauma response. I'm not saying that it's not warranted in certain situations yeah. or people are like, but that's safety first. You know, I'm in a big city. I'm not saying be stupid. Yeah. I'm just saying that to think about that ahead of time, we're not wired to be like that. That means you're in fight flight all the time, Mm -hmm. which is exhausting. It also, we could get into the neuroscience of like what it does to your brain to do that long-term. So feeling like that usually leads to, and if you're unaware, if you're like disconnected from your body, you're like, I don't know. Do you feel wiped? Like at the end of the day, when you finally are in like your quote unquote safe place, are you like, Mm -hmm. you know, notice that. Second biggest symptom is avoiding things that you used to be able to like engage with. So maybe you don't like crowded places anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are experiencing that. Like, oh, I don't want to go to a restaurant that's full. Like, you know, that's a trauma response. I don't want to get in the car with somebody I want to always drive. Or mm-hmm. I don't want to be with my back to the door, right? Avoiding certain things to potentially cause that hypervigilance. That's like this, you know, I'd say the next big pillar symptom of PTSD. And then how do you work through it? You recognize the, it and then, yeah. It can be. Through. They find through research that 40% of people benefit from talk therapy. So just talking it out. Tell me what happened. How are you feeling? We're, you know, that kind of thing. Most people, since so 60%, need something else. So talk therapy benefits us all. But to get us into what I'd call like remission would mean that you might need like somatic work. Like where does that show up for you in your body? Mm-hmm. Or is, it, is it your digestion? Is it your shoulders, muscles? Are you like clenching your teeth all the time? Are you now grinding them at night? Is your dentist now putting a night guard in? You know, what's happening to you? 
feel yourself all clenched. Then there's EMDR, which, mm-hmm. you know. I've done that. One of my girlfriends does it, and I did a actually a video with her having her do it to me because I've never done it personally, and I found it incredibly amazing and would 10 out of 10 do it again. So there's different modalities. EMDR, if anybody's wondering, you know yep. when you sleep and your eyes go brrrr, they say that that's your brain like processing the day, and EMDR is just triggering kind of that bilateral stimulation, meaning left to right, to give your brain another chance to process. Yeah. So, yeah. And it helps with trauma. So for myself, I probably mm-hmm. did like nine, 10 sessions. Yep. And then we got with my therapist too. Then we got to the point where it's like, okay, I think we're done here. Mm-hmm. And I've had many therapists, and you always, you know, you can finish the job or whatever, you know, and work through and then always go back. But it really helped me for being triggered by my mom. Mm-hmm. A phone call, a text where I just would be 72 hours. Like if she said something nasty to me, it would be 72 hours. I'm out. I'm like my, yeah, I'm in my head. So that really helped with trigger events. And also talking about PTSD, because I feel like much of the world right now is, even if you don't notice it, because you're like, I'm fine. I just went through a pandemic. Everyone was so happy. You're like, oh, I don't have to show up to the office anymore mm-hmm. for start at two weeks. And then it's like three years. And- <laughs> right. We're like, we can lock down for two weeks. No, Flash forward, like, like 2023. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I would be mad if somebody didn't tell me that. Got something in my teeth. Thank you. It was just lip gloss. So you're oh, good. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. So even for those who don't even think they've ever experienced any trauma, because it can be like the little traumas too Mm -hmm. that add up to the big traumas. Yes. So how do you recognize if you have all these little traumas building up? I think going back to the symptoms. Yeah. Are you, I mean, I could go through an exhaustive list of things, but like, are you feeling hypervigilant? Do things spiral you out? I always tell people like we've put a bad, like given overreaction, a bad rep, Mm -hmm. like, oh, they, they overreacted. That's incredibly helpful information. It's like a little red flag. You're like, hey, something's going on here. So if you find yourself like, quote unquote, overreacting, instead of judging yourself and being like, God damn it, get it together. How about instead you say, I think something's going on. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't responding like I am. And you get curious about it. Not judgmental. Mm -hmm. Curious about what could be causing it. Like tap into that. Because little T traumas are things like, I moved a lot as a kid. I was bullied for a semester. My parents fought a lot in front of me. Mm-hmm. I don't know, lost a job. I've struggled financially. I went through a bad breakup. I lost a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And it really depends on, I think the important thing people to remember is it's not just, is this thing a big enough deal? Does everybody agree? It's more like, how did you experience it? And what's your level of resilience? Because if you catch me at a bad time, some things can be harder than it would if I was doing better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I call it having poker chips, but people call it spoons or whatever you want. Like you have a certain amount of them and like things cost, you know, someone cuts you off and you're like, ah, cost me a couple poker chips. You know, I get mm-hmm. to work and they're like, you didn't do that project. I'm like, shit, cost me more poker chips, you know? And so if you catch me without any, I might, it might be harder, but all in all, big T, little T, they can all lead to PTSD depending on our level of resilience and depending on what it was, right? So think of it like waves in an ocean. A huge wave can come and wash you out or a bunch of waves can slowly, we've all had the happen where your like feet slowly sink into the sand and you're like, oh mm-hmm. my God. And then it like starts to be hard to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It could happen either way. So I've had a lot of big T's and little T's. Mm-hmm. And now for me, I try to look at any of the T's, trauma is the word we're talking about, mm-hmm. and be like, okay, so how do I build resilience from this? Is that good? I've always been like, okay, 
I'm feeling knocked down. Mm-hmm. Let me figure out how to, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but I'm always like, okay, what can I learn from this and how can I move forward? And, you know, I don't know. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> I think it's good if it's helpful for you. I, I always want to caution people against like judging yourself. Yeah. Because there is a potential for judgment in there where you're like, mm-hmm. what can I learn from this? And learn, what if there isn't anything to learn except for bad things happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and that can be sometimes really hard to accept when you're like, why are people such assholes? We don't always have an answer. Why do people abuse their kids? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me, but nonsensical things happen. So I think that's helpful for you. And I think that's great. And building resilience is kind of just taking care of your basic needs. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we think like, oh, resilience means self-care and self-care means like spa days and vacations. And like, I can't afford any of that, or I don't have time for that. It's really like, are you taking the medication you're prescribed when you're supposed to take it? Are you eating regularly? Are you drinking water? Are you moving your body? Are you showering? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have people you connect with? Those are, you know, basic things. And there's nothing wrong with your coping skill. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's important things too, as we're <clears throat> talking about coming out of the pandemic or whatever, like showering. We definitely, Bobby and I were like, did we shower in the last two days, three? Like now it's like, just get in that shower. Doesn't it yeah. feel so good? It's oh. like, just wash it all off. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a cleansing thing, like being in water like that, moving your body, which I'm still trying to get back into my regular routine. But yeah, there's just, you know, hydration, the food you put in your body, everything. So therapy. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of questions because with the big silence, we do, you know, we try to have as many resources as possible because a lot of people don't know how to find a therapist. Yeah. Number one, it's hard, or maybe you live in a mental health desert, or maybe you don't have health insurance and it can be very costly. What is your advice for finding a good therapist? A lot of things. So, and yes, I know, trust me, I'm trying to find one now. And I'm like looking through photos. I'm like, why do y'all look like douchebags? And no offense to them, but I'm just (laughs) like, I like try to call one and their voicemail even bothers me. And I'm like, you can't see them. And so I get the struggle. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and you want to like, when you sit with a therapist, it's like someone you want to have tea with. Yeah. Someone I think is kind of cool and I like like them. And I always want them to be a little older than me. I want like a hippie mother. That's what I'm looking for. Mm Mm-hmm. It's tricky. It's easier in Santa Monica, a little tricky in Texas. Still exists. We're in Austin. People are weird. I like that. I got a hippie mother for you. Oh, awesome. Right, oh, I'm excited yeah. already because I've been calling and in consulting. Okay, so I have a ton of tips. <laughs> okay. So as someone who's been in therapy and a therapist, there are a few things I want you to look for, and then I'll like tell you some logistics on finances and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So first, make sure that you can afford it. I know that sounds silly. But Mm -hmm. people don't always ask that. They're afraid to ask that. That's important because you have to make sure you can budget in and you can do it long term. Because therapy can take months, years, depending on what you're working through. And I don't want anybody to feel rushed. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can only afford like five sessions. Yeah. You're not going to heal in five sessions. No. And to feel rushed is even worse because then you're like trying to get it all out. Make sure that, like you said, like we were saying, like there's just somebody kind of cool that you just like. You're like, mm-hmm. I like talking to this person. You know, when you meet somebody randomly, like I'm in a new area, so I'm meeting new people. And some people are like, I jive with this person. Other people mm-hmm. are like, mm. mm-hmm. I want you to have that feeling like, I like them. That's all. Don't have to love them. Don't have to, you know, really be sure you want to see them, but you have to have that feeling. Yep. Then you want to make sure that they don't talk about themselves in the session mm-hmm. very much. They should only share, we call it disclosures. 
Mm -hmm. disclose something as a therapist should be done only to the benefit of the patient. Meaning I would share, like, let's say when you lost your mother, let's say I was your therapist, I'd say, oh, I lost my dad too. I know it's hard to lose a parent, even if it's a complicated grief situation. And that would be me only disclosing so that you know I can meet you where you're at. Let's say you were saying like, you don't know what it's like, you know, because people get that way, right? So I might share that. Other than that, it's not their therapy session. They go to their own therapy for that. Yeah. And then they should remember basic things about you and they should challenge you. And those are the kind of like what I call the foundational things. If you're just going and you're talking and you're like, I don't know, it's pretty easy. We just chitty chat. I'm like, that's not therapy. Yeah. I want challenge and I mm-hmm. want homework. Me too. But that's the type of therapist I am too. And that's who I need. I need them to be like, you're doing that thing again. So I need you to go home. And I need you to do X, Y, or Z. Or I need you to write about this. Yeah. But- I've had therapists who I'm like, well, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And they're like, just change your thoughts. I'm like, how does that work? How do exactly? I do that? <laughs> Thanks for all the help. <laughs> yeah, same. And yeah. I think that therapy should feel safe mm-hmm. or at least okay. And it, it should push you. Yeah. And what about pre-therapy session anxiety? Mm-hmm. Very common. Mm-hmm. Tell them about it. Mm-hmm. And something I find is kind of like a little loophole to because we can all go into therapy and be like, because I'm a verbal diarrhea person. I just go and tell everything and cry like a maniac. That's just, I don't know. I think it's because I'm like holding it all in and I'm like, Bleh. But other people are like, I can't say anything. I say, yeah. fine, fine, fine. Instead of trying to change that thing and be like, I want to talk about things. How do I do that? Let's address the problem, not try to find a solution. So instead, go into therapy and be like, I get so anxious coming in here. I don't know what's going on. And then just be curious. I think a lot of therapies being... I mean, I love crime shows. So I always say it's like being a detective. Mm. So looking for evidence. What's Mm. happening? When did this start? Have I always been nervous around things, big things going on? Have I always had a hard time talking about myself? Do Mm. most of my relationships revolve around other people? How come it's so weird for someone to ask me questions and I don't ask them back? You know, just be curious. Yeah. Like think of your, like interviewing yourself a little bit, like interrogation. Yeah. But nice. And see what comes up. Because that can tell you a lot about the trigger. And there are things we can do in the moment, like a full body shake helps so much because our system, that's why exercise is helpful for people or dance or whatever. Your body cues you up to take action and then we don't do anything and then we feel it. And then that's why our breath and our heart rate, you know, our breath gets faster, our heart rate increases, we sweat. Yeah. Was that helpful, by the way? I feel like I didn't necessarily answer that directly. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, even like, I remember when I... It was in 2017 or 2016. I was doing EMDR and I was like first getting back into therapy. And I hated driving to the therapist's office. Mm. I was like, I don't want to do this. I would leave my office and like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But then once you're there, it's like, oh, okay. It's like, so it can be, especially if you're listening and you've never gone to therapy before and you're like getting right into it, it can be uncomfortable because you have to be completely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Then let's go into, I think we were talking about the financial side of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, explain that if you don't have health insurance or there's also sliding scales or, you know, finding someone. And with the Big Silence, one of our big missions with our donors is providing a program called Therapy for All where we pay for your therapy. Mm -hmm. Because I realize it's very expensive. It's super expensive. You're running a business, too. Yeah, and I think people assume... And I won't talk about this too much because I know yep. people are like, this is boring. People <laughs> assume that therapists take all that money home and that's like what we get paid for yep. the hour, but they forget like malpractice insurance, which everybody has to have to pay on the amount of hours because people are litigious and you don't know. 
You could take your license, take your home, everything. So there's that. Then there's rent for your space. Mm -hmm. There's the amount of schooling I went through to get my license and the hours I had to gather and then licensure, upkeep, CEUs, things. So just overhead of a business. And so, you know, for every hour, probably take off like $60, $70 of whatever you paid them. That that just doesn't go to them. But I know that it's also expensive as someone who's been in therapy a long time and has never really had good health insurance. I've always just like eaten it. And- There are a couple things. Number one, ask for a sliding scale. You'll see, even when you look on like Psychology Today or you look at other websites, it'll say if they offer a sliding scale. I don't think I've ever seen someone say no. We get into doing this because we want to help people. Mm -hmm. We always keep a few slots open. I've seen people for half cost for 20 bucks. I saw a patient for a few months for free because they were in between jobs. We want to work with you. Let us work with you. So there's that. Secondly, there's cheaper options. That's one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that everybody took to online. Mm -hmm. So now not only do you have access, let's say you live in a rural community and you're like, this is a therapy desert. There's like one person and they're Christian and I'm Jewish. You're like, this is not going to work. I don't know. So you can now see anybody in your state and almost everybody offers online. So that's great. And you can probably find someone that maybe is cheaper in a different area. There's low cost things like BetterHelp, Talkspace. Those are always like reduced cost. And there's free clinics. I mean, if you're in a city center in particular, like I used to work in North Hollywood at this place called the Center for Individual and Family Counseling. Most of my patients paid $20. Some paid nothing. So just look into that and, you know, ask around. There's nothing wrong with calling your local hospital and saying, hey, do you guys have any like low-cost therapy referrals? Or call a treatment center for addiction, for eating disorders. Ask them. I used to work at an eating disorder treatment center for years. And we had this huge referral list use that. They already know it. Just call. And if somebody like me sitting in an office doing paperwork and they're like, they'll just give you, how can I email it to you? Boom. Yeah. And now with the interweb, I know you can find anything. Even in my early 20s, when I wanted to get into therapy, I found a place and I think I paid 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, it was great. So, And if you're in school, I went to therapy for free for years. Yeah. Thank God. Thanks, Pepperdine. Even though I paid through the nose for that school. I know. I was like, you paid for it. Well, I mean, I was on scholarship. It was only 16000 a year, but only 16000 is a lot. But that was way cheaper than what it really was. (laughs) But yeah. So eating disorders, you Mm -hmm. brought that up. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions about that. Can we talk about that? Of course. I don't know where to begin. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women go and men. Mm -hmm. Just I have not had that topic on the podcast a lot. Yeah. First, we'll start with misconceptions. Okay. Binge eating disorder is the most common mental illness, yet we tend to only hear about like anorexia. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because that quote unquote looks like an eating disorder. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's so much tied up in our society in general around us and our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about religious practices. There's almost always food. Think about holidays. There's almost always food. Think about celebrations, food, 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 treats, reward. It's mm-hmm. so entangled and we have so much judgment around it. I mean, if anybody out there thinks that they're better than someone because they ordered a salad when someone ordered a cheeseburger and fries, you clearly have some judgments and assumptions about food and what mm-hmm. that means and the value system, right? Mm-hmm. And so I really think that as a whole, we all whether we want to admit it or not, have some kind of complicated relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we only talk about the undereating portion of it leaves out, I would argue, probably 70% of people with eating disorders because binge eating disorder is often not diagnosed. They go to the doctor, they're told to lose weight. How? We don't know. Right. Yeah. 
That is a good point. So it's typically not talked about for binge eating. Mm -hmm. So how do you know if you have a binge eating disorder and how can you move through that and heal from that? Yeah. Do you ever feel out of control around food? And be honest. Like sit with that question for a little bit and see if you ever had like a moment where you're like, oh my God, I ate that whole bag of chips. I ate that whole whatever package of whatever you're eating. Mm -hmm. You don't even know you're doing it. Yeah. And if somebody just gave you a bag, would you be like, oh, I got to put some in a bowl. Otherwise, I eat the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I can't control myself around pizza. I can't control myself. Notice those types of thoughts and experiences that you've had because that's an indicator of binge eating. And overall, I always tell people eating disorders really, I know diagnostically speaking, they'll say, you know, it's X, Y, and Z. I'm not a huge fan of the DSM and diagnoses. It's helpful, but it can also be really limiting, especially when it comes to eating disorders. If you spend most of your day thinking about food, I call it like food porn, people who watch like the Food Network all day. Mm -hmm. It's like, because I can't have that, I'll watch it on TikTok or on the TV. You know, I'll just just like soak it up. Like Pinterest, I have boards full of recipes that I should try. If you spend most of your day thinking about it in that way, you have an issue with food. Isn't it interesting too? Because I know with my family growing up, we're like eating breakfast and we're like, well, what do we want for dinner? Mm -hmm. That's how my family was too. (laughs) Like, is this... (laughs) everything's like, what's for lunch? Mm -hmm. What do you want for this holiday? Mm -hmm. Our society is very food focused. And it makes it hard then to have like a healthy relationship, right? If we're always thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't leave space for much else. And also it's used as a coping skill too. If I'm so hungry, all I can think about is food. I'm not going to think about that trauma I sustained. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm so full, so uncomfortably full, that's all I can think about. I'm not going to think about how upset I am at my spouse or my friend or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. So I grew up with a Ukrainian family and holidays. It was like, even me as a little girl, it was like, I would eat until I'm so full. Mm. But that's what my dad would do too. He would be like, oh, just like two plates. I'm like, I don't need this. And yeah, I mean, I have a good relationship with food now, but as a teenager, I did not. Mm-hmm. I would get so full and I did have a period of bulimia. And, but I look at what I was raised in. It's like, finish your plate, yep. eat more do this and... I'm Polish, same. Mm -hmm. And like grandma asks you if you want more while it's going onto your plate. There's no actual decision to Mm -hmm. decide when you're hungry or full. There's no intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, look at toddlers. I know this is so annoying to parents, but just look at toddlers. They're the most intuitive eaters. Yeah. I know they leave half-eaten bananas all over your house and you give them a sandwich and they only eat three quarters and you're like, what? And then they're hungry two hours later. That's because they're being intuitive. Yeah. They're like, this doesn't sound good anymore. I don't want it. Yeah. Oh, I want this. I know toddlers can be all crazy with like, you took the wrapper off. Whoa, you didn't ask me. They can like panic about all sorts of things because their emotion regulation is not there yet. But with food, they are incredibly intuitive. And through life, we slowly are taught to like not listen to our bodies. Your dad's eating this. You should finish your plate. Yeah. You know, kids are going hungry. Why aren't yeah. you eating that? Yeah. You don't like it. You're going to make your grandma feel bad. Well, then even like as I have a healthy relationship with food, some people are like, you didn't finish your plate. I'm like, I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't do this or you didn't eat it. I'm like, no, I'm That's like, their stuff. <laughs> you know, they're right? putting their own stuff on you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So watching your YouTube videos, there's something that you were talking about with high functioning depression. And mm-hmm. it's been in the news lately. Think about Twitch. Mm-hmm. Everyone was in you know, such shock and what happened with him and his death by suicide. And everyone's like, but he was so happy. 
an online Ellen show. And I think it's really important to talk about that and maybe even the symptoms and signs and what high-functioning depression is because it's not somebody who's just laying in bed all day and it's clear. Yeah, and I think we often assume, just like I said with eating disorders, we assume it's this under-eating. We assume depression looks this one way. But the thing that people don't understand is some people, I call it white-knuckling through life, Mm -hmm. where like they feel like total shit, but they just barely hold it together to do what they need to do during the day. And because if you struggle with depression, you know you don't want to talk about it. So it's better to like pretend to be happy, put a smile on your face so that people don't ask you questions. But the symptoms or the things to look for is withdrawal from anything extra. So someone who is struggling with high-functioning depression probably doesn't do much outside of work or school. That's like their limit. They're exhausted. They've been putting on a happy face for hours and they're like, I'm so tired, I just want to go home, right? Also, you know, food changes. If you yourself have found your, like, I'm extra hungry, I'm eating when I'm not actually hungry or get full right away, don't want to eat, forget to eat, things like that. Sleep is disrupted, but overall for people on the outside, it's mainly just the fact that they won't be participating as much in certain things. And also they can't really show up for us in emotional ways. Like if we're trying to vent to a friend that we've always talked to and they just aren't there, Mm -hmm. it's because they're just, again, barely hanging in there. Yeah. So then how could you approach someone if you see a friend who you're concerned about? Mm -hmm. Because especially in today's society, and again, I keep saying Mm post-pandemic, there's just suicidal ideation is massively Mm -hmm. increased. What's some advice for someone listening either for themselves or for a friend or a loved one? Yeah, I also want to mention hygiene can change too, so pay attention to that if they're not showering, taking care of themselves. Just check in on people. I think we often feel that when we're going to reach out, we have to have like an answer and we have to fix. I'd encourage, don't do that. There's types of listening I've talked about in the past. There's like listening to fix But instead, I want you to listen to learn. Let them teach you about what they're going through. Don't assume. Don't call it depression. Don't call it suicidal thoughts. Say something to the effect of, hey, I've noticed a change in you and I'm worried. I'm here. Yeah. And then keep showing up. Yeah. And I know that's hard for people because they want to fix. They want to make it better, especially if it's like a spouse or a sibling or a child. You're like, I want to make them feel better. You can't do that. That's actually not within your power. And I know if it sucks to feel hopeless and or helpless in a situation, but just be there. And that might mean you pick up takeout and you just show up and you're like, hey, want to watch some Netflix? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we have to talk about it. If they want to, you're there. Yeah. And I think that's just the biggest thing. And that's what I've heard from my audience too, and even my patients. And just even a text check-in. Yeah. Hey, how are you? You know, thinking about you. I love Simple. that when I get mm-hmm. text messages from someone I haven't heard or like a voice note and they're like, I was just thinking about you today. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Isn't that so nice? It's mm-hmm. like the simplest little thing. Yeah, but you can really make someone's day. That's something I've been trying to do this year is just like tell people I'm thankful for them. They're like, oh, you did this thing and I appreciate you. Like mm-hmm. taking the time to really say it Yeah. versus assuming they know. Yeah. So you have workshops. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that and how that works? Because I think it's so important for those, especially who don't know where to start with their mental health or with therapy. Let me know Yeah, what you got going on. (laughs) So I have a ton of videos that are free. Obviously, people can access them anytime. But some people want to dive deeper, can't afford therapy long term, or just wanting to dive into a specific issue. I offer workshops. They're on my website. We film them and then we allow people can you know, watch them at any time. But when a new one comes out, I do the workshop live so people can ask questions during it and I can make sure that we're all on the same page. So far, we've done 
all sorts of different topics. The first one I ever tried doing was about relationships. Spoilers, it's the relationship with yourself. It's the most important. People are like, is this romantic relationships? And I was like, kind of, but not really. (laughs) Well, that's true. Like the relationship with yourself is the most important one because then you can't be in a romantic relationship if you don't love yourself. Yeah, it's really hard. And then the dynamic can be off. We can be codependent and, you know, all sorts of things. So I did a relationship workshop. Then we did one on um, inner child work. Mm -hmm. People talk about that. Yeah. And it's really important to be able to connect with younger you because sometimes we lose touch with how helpless maybe he or she felt or how little resources you had. We can be really harsh mm-hmm. with like our younger us and be like, why didn't you get the hell out of there? And you're like, because yeah. I couldn't. I was yeah. eight. Yeah. <laughs> you forget. So yeah, so I did a workshop on that and that was really great. I think there's probably a follow-up to be done there. Then most recently I did one on boundaries. Mm-hmm. These are all great. I'm signing up for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm working on one right now about attachment. Uh, explain that one. So attachment, if people don't know, is, is something that's developed within your first year of life. And for a lot of people, they're like, well, shit, I can't go back in time and fix it. That's not what it's about. It's just understanding what you're working with. But our attachment style is developed during that time. So if our parents weren't consistent, we might have more of an anxious attachment. We don't really know what they're unpredictable, right? Or we could be disorganized where sometimes we feel really clingy. Sometimes we're like, get out of here. If our parents were good and we could count on them, we could have a secure attachment. And be like, they'll be there. I can go out into the world, mm-hmm. explore who I am. So mm-hmm. attachment really can affect our relationships with people, but also our relationship with ourselves. And so the meat of the workshop is going to be figuring out which one you think you fit into. And then how do we identify the behaviors that are holding us back so that we can change those? So what could hold us back if we have, I've actually never had a discussion on attachment on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Explain. I'm very interested in this. Okay. And I don't even know what questions to ask because I'm unfamiliar with it. But so we identify what form of attachment we have and how could that negatively affect us if we have, I don't know, say our parents didn't pay enough attention mm-hmm. to us. So then what does attachment mean? So if let's say emotionally neglectful. Yeah. Parents just didn't show up for us in the way we want. And let's say as a result, we find ourselves with an anxious attachment. That could mean that when we go out into the world and we try to have a romantic relationship, we find ourselves doing what I call the cut and run. Where we're like, oh, they're getting too close. I'm starting to count on them. This feels very unsafe. Run away. Mm -hmm. And we'll like ghost people. We could be in a relationship Mm -hmm. for a year and we're like, they don't know me anymore. And we run away. Or we could be on the flip side where we're like extremely clingy and we overshare. We have, you know, kind of like verbal diarrhea about personal things. It's like, uh, I love sex in the city back in the day. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite lines, she's like, I know what I did. I was emotionally slutty. I shared too much too fast. And we can be that. We can be like really wanting to hold people close and we can kind of suffocate the relationship. And I know when we I say the word relationship, we always think romantic, but -hmm. consider this when it comes to business relationships, when Mm -hmm. it comes to friendships, when it comes to familial relationships, and even the way that we deal with ourselves. I know it sounds weird to say like you can suffocate yourself, but you really can. And we can get caught in these things where we believe we can only act and be in one kind of way. And people will only want us if we're one kind of way. And so obviously this is a very succinct, there's like so much to attachment, but that's how it can impede your life, your relationships, and pretty much everything in between. But in today's society, Mm -hmm. because we have podcasts, Mm -hmm. you're on YouTube, I'm publicly for. 15 years, you know, sharing everything. I have a memoir. Is that oversharing? Not necessarily. As long as you're okay with it being out there. Yeah. I mean, it was... It'd be like if you, when you first met me and we just like casually through friends, 
You're like, so let me tell you about how my mom, you know, and you just go deep into like the trauma that you sustained as a kid. And I like barely know your first name. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Like you're putting stuff out there in the hopes that it helps somebody else. And it's also probably really therapeutic for you to do that process. Correct. This is just like the oversharing really quick. Because even mm-hmm. if you met someone, like let's say we we're out at like a cocktail party, you wouldn't tell me all the stuff that's in your memoir right away. But maybe over years of friendship. Yeah, or on a podcast. Exactly. Well, it's a little different. Like, a little hey, different. by the way, I had bulimia when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Just met you, but hey. But that's like in line with what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you're fine. Don't worry. Okay, so workshops and what's your website? Oh, katiemorton.com. Yeah, it'll be all in the show notes and all over everything. Yeah, I love the work that you do. And you're so just down to earth. And, you know, if I was looking for a therapist, I'd come to you. Aw, thanks. I'm going to give you my hippie woman. I know, I'm excited. Don't you think she'd be great, Bobby, for Katie? I like to have a hippie woman. Yeah. My old therapist used to wear like these like really flowy skirts and sit cross-legged. Not like like too hippie, but just like... Just just the right amount. An older, you know, Mm -hmm. you want someone who's like lived... For me, Mm -hmm. someone who's like lived the life and been through it and a little motherly. Yes. I didn't have a mom. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to grieve that relationship, right? And so you get to kind of fill that a little bit with a therapist as you work through it. Yeah. Totally. My last question. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to your podcast. The podcast song. Is that you singing? No. It's, no? It's my old assistant. Oh, Jules. Jules. I love Jules. It sounds like your voice. And I was like, no way. Is she also a singer? I mean, I was. That's how I got a scholarship to go to school. Oh, wait. Through music? Yeah. I'm an alto too. So, mm, wait, can you, can you take us out with a little song? Oh, a ditty? I'm not okay. prepared with a ditty. I don't know. Oh, I thought when you said ditty, you were going to start rapping oh, or something. Oh, no, no. Like, like a ditty, like, <laughs> you know. The big silence. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I'm sorry. But I mean, that was my old assistant slash upstairs neighbor, Jules, oh. that sang the, you know, we put together the lyrics. Although I did just record a song with my good friend Allie, and we'll be replacing the Ask Katie Anything with a new jam. And I sang it. Oh, okay. So I knew it was, I think I was like feeling that. Feeling that it was, yeah. Yeah. I do love music. It's still a big part of like who I am. But yeah, I should have come up with a little song for you. I would have sang it. It's just hard to come up with lyrics that work and rhyme and are you know, witty. Freestyler. I'm too type A for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Katie. Well, thank you for coming to hang out here. Of course, anytime. And now that you're in Austin, we're going to have to hang out more. I know, definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in. 
to be who you already are. The big silence.